I didn't really feel anything while I was watching <laughs> it. Like, you know that meme of Homelander from The Boys? He's in the theater, and he's just, like, staring... <laughs> Staring yeah. emptily at the screen. The premiere of his movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like it's a common <laughs> gif used all over the internet. That was me the whole time during this movie. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. Let's break down our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania, which is the best movie of Phase Five <laughs> in Marvel in the MCU. That's that's all I'm gonna say about that. We saw it last it's night. The only one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, the, that's the joke. You got it, man. Good job. You, you got the joke. I got that reference. Get, get the shot. Referencing a better Marvel movie. So <laughs> I got that reference. We got the invite by IMAX. Thank you so much to IMAX for the invitation to come down to Santa Monica and check out the movie. And thanks for Marvel letting them to screen it there and Collider is a, is a great they had some wonderful popcorn. Great event, delicious concessions. Just yeah. gonna say, always a wonderful time. This movie though, you know, I I, I was not feeling it to be honest. And be honest, I, man. I did, be honest. I didn't really feel anything while I was watching it. <laughs> like you know that meme of Homelander from the boys. He's in the theater and he's just like staring. <laughs> Staring yeah. emptily at the screen. The premiere of his movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like it's a common <laughs> gif used all over the internet. That was me the whole time during this movie because I wanted to like it. You know, this is the 31st, 32nd movie in the MCU. And I feel like the 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 standard has just slipped quite a bit compared to even just two, three years ago. So I, I was pretty disappointed by this film. Obviously, you know, no one wants to set out to make a bad movie, but I just felt nothing. I, I very much agree, and I've always liked the Ant-Man movies because they've been the funniest of the Marvel movies in a lot of ways, and then... The first one's great. Yeah, the, the second one's pretty good, but the first one is really charming, and it has a lot of great comedy, and Paul Rudd was a really great choice for, for the Ant-Man character. I really enjoyed the first one, and the second one's pretty good, too, especially getting Michelle Pfeiffer in the mix and everything. In this film... It completely lacked what those other films had, and it lacked comedy. None of the comedy worked, and we saw it with the packed crowd and packed audience, and there were just maybe a couple of people laughing here and there, but just like it kind of seemed like it was forced. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I was sitting next to that guy. He, yeah. was, forced, <laughs> he was forced cackling. <laughs> but there was an audible kind of awkward tension once the credits rolled. Once the movie ended and the credits rolled, usually after Marvel movies, generally – from my experience, people are very excited and they'll clap and you'll start hearing people buzzing and talking about what they just saw. Or even just an, an average movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chatter starts immediately. But the credits started and it was dead silent in the entire theater for the entire credit run until the post credit scenes. And I was like, that's not a good sign. The audience did not react to this at all. And it's not like, it's not like Marvel's trying to be more serious by not being funny. Like they were trying to be funny the whole film. And they were throwing out jokes time after time again. They just were not landing at all. And I found it shocking because Paul Rudd's such a great comedic actor and the other films had great humor. I was surprised at how little humor worked. There was like one moment where I kind of was like, uh, but honestly, that was it. And I didn't walk into it like, oh, I hate, like, I don't, I don't even want to see this movie. I walked into it with an open mind and I kept my expectations kind of low because I was never very much impressed by the trailer. And... I was, I mean, the trailer lived up to what the movie was. It was just not that impressive of a movie. 
It's well, the trailer showed the whole movie. You were right. It like showed the entire you, the entire pre- film. You pretty much saw the movie in the trailer, yeah. and you could kind of guess what happened. And this movie didn't. I didn't feel any stakes. There was no like real intense intense suspense or tension. I didn't feel like the heroes weren't going to win for a single second. That's kind of been a, a common thread recently in Marvel, as you know, the heroes are going to win no matter what. But as of February sixteenth, IMDb has this at an six point six. But twenty one percent of those votes, I looked it up, are at tens. <laughs> So take that as you will. And it's only like, what, 3,000 votes in total? It's about 5,000, but yeah. 21% of the votes are a 10. After, so. after this upcoming weekend, we'll know for I sure. I mean, come on. And then no movies, almost no movies a 10. There's like a couple movies that are 10, yeah. let alone maybe this one is defi- MCU. This is definitely not a 10. Maybe two MCU movies are in that conversation. This is not one of them. Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 50% as of now. And the audience score has not been released yet, but there have been over 250 ratings on that. And it's a 50% with like 180 critic score ratings. I'm sure that'll keep... And that's been going down steadily ever since it started getting released. Mm -hmm. But it just feels like this movie... And the Metacritic is a 60. This movie wasn't focused on the main characters of of the title of the film. It wasn't focused really on Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was more focused on... Obviously, introducing Kang to the MCU, which we get was basically the main point of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, was bringing Kane into Kang. the... Kang. Did I say? Yeah, what is, what you said Kane. Kang. No, it sounded like Kane. Sorry. It sounded Kane's like... chicken? <laughs> Raising Kane. Kane's is so good. <laughs> <laughs> bringing Kang into the MCU, introducing Kang the Conqueror as the new big bad, apparently, in the MCU. But it was more focused, really, on... Janet, 100%, and then Cassie, they seem like the key, the leads of this film rather than Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp were kind of like the secondary characters to them, Especially two. the Wasp. Yeah. She seemed to really not do much at all except some lines here and there, but other than send, saving him in the probability zone, she didn't really have much of a factor on the plot at all until like just there was that moment and also the ending when she came back. And the thing is... I keep seeing stuff online. People are like, I don't understand like why we can't just say a Marvel movie. Sometimes it's not good. This is one case where it's not. And people are already making the excuses. They're setting up phase five. This is all just like laying the groundwork. It's, is that, does that mean it's not supposed to be good? So I, I just get, I'm kind of getting tired of like making excuses. Like they're setting up Kang. I understand, but you can still make a good story out of it. There, there was the possibility of a really good story. The quantum realm seemed like a really interesting place. Family to drama, family yeah. drama. It looked like you could have had like a pre- pure creation, basically, with the quantum realm, and you can set up Kang and do a good job with it. I, I feel like people are already making excuses for it by saying it's just setting up Phase Five. Like, don't look at it like too harshly. Like, come on, they they're asking you to spend your money and to go out there and spend your time. They should do their best to try and craft a really interesting and compelling story. And when I watched this film, it seemed like they really weren't in- interested in doing that. It seemed like they were just going through the motions and just placing things here. And it didn't look like much effort was put into trying to make a make craft a really good story, which is the whole point of going to a movie is for the story. And they could have still set up King just as well while trying to do a better job with the screenplay because ultimately the the biggest problem with the film is the screenplay and the script. It took too long to get to King in general because when he finally showed up and Jonathan Majors was obviously excellent in this film, I was like, okay, cool, Kang is a badass. I like this character a lot. love the character design. And the rest of the cast is absolutely stellar. I mean, Paul Rudd's terrific. Evangeline Lilly is so great. Catherine Newton was really terrific as Cassie. Michelle Pfeiffer was 
killing it this whole this whole film. Liam Jackson Harper, Katie O'Brien, uh, David Desmalchin has a great little cameo. Michael Douglas is Hank Pym. So the cast is incredible. I love all these actors, but they they were just so uninterested in their main actors, the main characters of, of the title characters of, of the movie, as well as I was disappointed with Hank Pym's character. He was just kind of just comedic relief for the first two acts of the film until obviously spoilers are coming in right now until the third act of the film when the ants came to save the day and he's like kind of like the hero at the end sort of so i, I was just disappointed how they treated their title characters the ant-man and the wasp just, like i said didn't feel like their movie at all and, and that's yeah. the name of the movie you said you, you said you think they waited too long to get to king i yeah. think i think they got there way too fast they they went into the quantum realm within like six minutes of the movie that should be like the big event of the story but it seemed like there was no first act at all it was just like scott lang on a book tour and then family dinner everyone's mad at him because he's on a book tour for some reason his daughter is so angry like yeah. the guy just saved the universe he's probably give him a give him a couple months he just wrote a book like <laughs> he's him- doing press he's probably he's trying to pay the bills <laughs> he's, do- he's on a book tour give, give him a year to like relax guys. I, didn't, I didn't understand like the anger towards him the attack and, on him yeah and then like I just found it like I didn't understand why nobody knew like how Scott and um, what's Michelle Pfeiffer's character? I'm sorry, Janet. Janet. How Scott and Janet had no had no idea that Hank and Cassie were doing this special project. Like, like don't y'all live together? Aren't you a family? And, and like, why does nobody know about this? And, and then they're like, God, oh, by the row. by the way, we built a telescope. A, a giant ante- we built an antenna into the quantum realm when did this happen like aren't you guys to are, like it's I a mini i know they explained it like he's he's been on his book tour and focusing on himself i guess but i just i thought it was silly how nobody else knew what was going on between hank and cassie because you imagine how much time was put into that project like did nobody ask like what are you guys doing down there <laughs> like, like come on there so i just didn't like how it was like oh by the way we built this antenna into the quantum realm okay when did this happen <laughs> i found that just to be kind of just like they're just like fast forwarding to it you know what i yeah. mean with no effort to explain it set it up no effort was put into the exposition into character development at all it was just like movie starts this is where scott's in his life bang we're in the quantum realm and i was like wait who like what exactly what is the setup of the story we didn't even get it but kang kang is the best part of this movie if kang's on this movie it's almost, you know, tough to watch. And Kang, let's break down who he is. A.K.A. Nathaniel Richards is a scientist from the 31st century who had discovered the existence of the multiverse and his alternate selves. Unlike most of his variants, Richards sought to conquer as many worlds as possible, so he started the Multiverse War, becoming known as Kang the Conqueror. Kang's attempt to conquer the multiverse was foiled, as his other self, He Who Remains, isolated the timeline to keep Kang from his goal. However, when Sylvie Lafayette-Dortier killed He Who Remains, Kang returned and became the new ruler of the Time Variance Authority. It's a lot of a lot of crazy words in that paragraph. <laughs> in the 31st century, Nathaniel Richards discovered the existence of the multiverse with its myriad of branching timelines and realities. The alternate versions of Richards started to meet each other, exchanging their knowledge and technology. However, Richards instead sought to conquer the multiverse, becoming known as Kang the Conqueror. He and his other variants started the first multiversal war, war in the process. Kang and the other variants were eventually stopped by He Who Remains, who weaponized a creature named Alioth to end the war. 
He Who Remains then created the Time Variance Authority and the Time Keepers to secure the Sacred Timeline and prevent Kang and the surviving variants from returning. In the wake of He Who Remains being murdered by Sylvie, Kang was able to return, establish contact with the Sacred Timeline, and take complete control of the multiverse. He has also become the new ruler of the Time Variance Authority, erecting a statue of himself in the headquarters where the Timekeeper's statues once were. He changed the organization to fit his liking, enlisting new variants of the TVA agents that once existed. And th this obviously ties in a lot to the two post credit scenes. Spoiler alert, obviously you haven't seen this movie. We're going to get into those right now. The first post credit scene was Kang and all the many, many variants of Kang the Conqueror assembled at this sacred, secret, powerful meeting, this convention of Kangs, the Kang convention. <laughs> Comic-Con, Kang Comic-Con. Where they're at like a stadium. Kang-Con. Getting together <laughs> and they have to, I guess, stop. Or they have to take control of, of the time, yeah, of yeah. time again. So I like actually like the, inter the, uh, the concept of Kang being able to control time and seeing time sort of like a loop maybe at all times, like sort of like the movie Arrival. So the character, I think, is really interesting. I thought Jonathan Majors was the best part of this movie. I love the suit. The suit is awesome. Yeah, he's practical, a, yeah, too. He's a very interesting actor, and you can see why he accepted this role because he's going to be able to play so many characters playing this role, and he did a terrific job with the many variations he did have on screen, and he, I think he is an excellent choice for the future of the big bad he seems to be a very talented guy, and he made a lot of terrific choices as in his performance as Kang. But I will say, I found Kang to be extremely underwhelming for power. Yeah, I thought I yeah. thought because like he's killed many Avengers, yeah. and he couldn't even handle Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, I, I found he didn't that have I, his suit was destroyed. Yeah, yeah, but I but even before that, before his suit was destroyed, like he he, he the the movie seemed to be all about build up, build up, build up, and and talking him up. And then when it came to deliver, like, he didn't really do much. You know what it's like? It's like Age of Ultron. Yeah, it was like Age of Ultron. And I just found it like when the when the climax happened, before his suit was destroyed, like, he could barely handle what was going on. And I was like, I thought this guy was, like, the, the super-powered, like, bigger, better, badder than Thanos. And I found that very confusing. And then because the way he talked about killing so many Avengers, they just blur together. It seemed like they set him up to be, like, an unstoppable force. But he was stopped pretty quickly and pretty easily. I found that to be just so shocking, and I was, like, so underwhelmed by it. And then even the flashbacks, we barely got a glimpse of what he was doing. And so I found the introduction of the character to be pretty underwhelming for what they kept talking him up to be. And then when push came to shove, he, like, barely did anything, to I be wonder, honest. I wonder if it's his powers from all the other variants combined. Possibly, Maybe they have uh, like sort of a, a telepath connection. But, so, so why wouldn't he have it right there? I don't know. When, when the... I, I was watching it, too. I was expecting him to mess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
people up and yeah. mess Ant-Man up the whole film, but he kind of was just like standing around and like he could control time and he could manipulate anything but, with, but his, not the with climax, his thoughts. But not when it came, not yeah, when push I, came I, to I shove. I was a little underwhelmed as well, yeah. you know, in terms of the power of the hype for Kang. And then when Ant-Man was destroying the area, I was like, why is Kang just standing in his tower watching, like not doing anything? And then he didn't, he jumped down after the barrier force field was destroyed, like now you're gonna get in the fight. Maybe, like maybe that king wasn't as powerful as the other kings. I suppose so, but I well, I, if if that's the case, they should have explained that because from all the talking up and build up of the character, I was like, this is it. This is this is all you got. This is your king. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed the performance very much. From He's great, Jonathan Majors. He's excellent. The most nuanced, most complex character. Lots of emotions going on. Even a tear was dropped as well. He's subtly, very good. Subtly. Yeah. Now, another interesting character from the film was MODOK. <laughs> now, MODOK in the comic book, I mean, in the MCU universe was Darren from the Ant -Man first Ant-Man, who was Yellow Jacket, and he was banished to the quantum realm by accident by by Paul Rudd's character, Ant-Man, Scott Lang, and he became this MODOK character, this giant face. And I actually did a little research on who MODOK is in the comics. Now, the comic MODOK is George Tarleton, a.k.a. MODOK, mental organism designed only for killing. Maybe that was the, the best joke of the movie. There's, there should be an F in there. It should yeah. be MODOK. Formerly MODOK, mental organism designed only for computation, was a lowly American technician working for AIM Advanced Idea Mechanics. He joined the team to help develop the Cosmic Cube, but was mutated into a human computer by scientist Supreme. They grew his brain to give him a superhuman intellect, but with the side effect of a massive cranium, which was too much for his frail body, meaning he needed to be placed inside a life support unit dubbed the Doomsday Chair. The process also gave him a plethora of psychic powers, along with an ego and ambition to match. He went on to use newfound powers to take control of the organization that had experimented on on him. Modak in the comics has a perfect memory with the ability to recall every moment. His vast intellect made him one of the few beings who can comprehend and build a cosmic cube. Now, if you're a fan of this character from the comics, I'm sure you probably were a little disappointed of what they did to Modok. I, I get how they were trying to bring that character into the current MCU. And it was funny at first, but I think it was kind of like Thor Love and Thunder with the the uh, the lambs I mean what are they the the yaks yeah yeah the screaming the screaming, the screaming yaks yeah. whatever whichever animal it was at first it was funny but then it got a little too dragged out and with Modok he was just a complete comic relief with no threat at all even though he's this ultimate killing machine he doesn't really do much killing yeah and it was just too too much of it I think it was overdone in terms of being used for laughs well every time a character saw him they said the same thing darren what happened like it was like they did that four times i was like are we really doing this interaction the fourth time it was funny the first two times yeah the first time i was like all right this is actually this is ridiculously funny but then it just happening over and i just found i mean if now hearing the backstory of the character that's kind of underwhelming if you're a fan of that character to see that if he just turned into like a bozo who just doesn't even really kill anyone i found i found the character I they tried to play it for laughs and for me it didn't work at all honestly and the the thing we you said earlier about there being no stakes I felt no stakes as well because I mean every time a a, a villain captured a, a good guy like they just what's what's up with just taking prisoners I thought this guy was King the Conqueror everyone he's just taking everyone prisoner and why did they release Cassie why did they not search Cassie or or Scott for any 
weaponry or any or anything at all. Like they just gave them the free them up to just escape whenever they wanted to, and they made it too easy for the protagonists to foil their plans. And it was like, why are you taking people prisoner and then releasing them? And then why are you not killing threats to you? Why are you take? Why are you putting them in lock, locking them up? There's just so many times where we're just like, why is this happening? This makes no sense for a villain or antagonist force to be doing this. And they just made it too easy for the protagonist to get away and to take over and to fight back. How did you feel about Bill Murray's cameo as Lord Krylar? It was it was fine. I mean, I thought he would be more involved in the story, but it, it <clears throat> I don't know. It just... It was, honestly, I was shocked that no one reacted to it in the audience. Yeah. I think everyone was just like... Lukewarm. Lukewarm about it. And I was expecting an applause, but nothing. Too, yeah. yeah. No reaction. There was no reaction to it at all. And I'm sure other theater experiences, you'll you'll experience more laughter, I'm sure, and probably hear an audience cheering for Bill Murray when they see him on, on screen. But it was kind of odd that no one really reacted to Bill Murray because he was just kind of there just to be there. Yeah. It's like, that's, I guess that's what the cameos have turned into. It was it was cool to see him, but it was just you know it was it was it was a funny scene I guess. Yeah. And the movie t- it moved along too quickly without much explanation for how the plot was moving ahead. Like I don't understand how what is his name Clars Claus, which one Bill Murray, Clars Lord K- Kylar 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 and Kang. How do they Kryler Kryler? How do they learn about the Ant Man crew so quickly? Like he knew about them. He's like, oh, I heard that. I heard that. There were other people here, and then King. How do they know that? Where? How do they know that these people arrived at the quantum realm where they were? Because it's the quantum realm, bro. It's like so quickly, I was like, "How is King attacking this village? How does he know that it's there? How does he know that Scott, Scott, and Cassie are there?" Well, it's an interesting point because you know when they get down there, Janet says, "This is a universe." Of worlds of worlds of worlds and it just doesn't seem as big as it is as they described it to be it doesn't feel like a massive universe it just seems kind of like a city agreed yeah and i love star wars so much you all know this and we love tatooine but i will say that this movie felt like a tatooine ripoff in terms of being down in, in the quantum realm and i was just kind of it took me out of it because I'm watching it and they get inside the bar. I'm like, this is Tatooine. Yeah. This is the Tatooine bar. This is, you might as well play some jazz music. But <laughs> I, I I was taken out of it because I'm like, it. Fe- even though Disney owns both properties so they can do whatever they want. It just, that's what it felt like to me. It felt too Tatooine-ish. Yeah. And the, the, the natives there, it seemed like it wasn't that big of a community. It seemed like so small and it didn't seem like they were like, communities or like villages or like even cities of people I understand that Kang's conquered Kang's conquering he's, man he's been conquering but it just seemed like they were just like what like 50 people because of Kang <laughs> yeah but like they're I, all they're all now the Marvel stormtroopers yeah the, the stormtroopers <laughs> oh my god the Marvel blue face guys in this movie they are stormtroopers yeah. they can't kill they anything they can't do anything they can't beat anybody in a fight they are just literally just the the MCU stormtroopers yeah <laughs> it was, I, it was uh, yeah. almost funny at a, at a point I just, but I felt like the rebel force didn't even seem like that big of an army it just seemed like a few dozen people because Kang's conquering man <laughs> Yeah, but then then they just stormed the city like no problem. Well, because they got what some about, help. What about the millions of, sh- of soldiers that they showed on screen? Hey, man. <laughs> it also had uh, Tron Legacy in, uh, 
Yeah, I so felt with Kang's plan seemed to be Clue's plan. Yeah, of building an army to escape into the real world. It's basically the same conflict. This the same idea of an antagonist plan was Clue's plan in Tron Legacy. I got a lot of Tron Legacy yeah. aesthetic and vibes in this movie, especially from the MCU Stormtroopers. That's what I'm dubbing them now, the blue face Stormtroopers. <laughs> uh, Tron Legacy immediately, and then also Lord uh, Krylar's entrance felt like. A lore, I mean, a Tron Legacy entrance yeah, yeah, yeah. of a character coming down the sh- ship with the the synthy music playing in the mm-hmm. background. So it's it was a mix of Tron Legacy and Tatooine on A New Hope. But I gotta say, Tron Legacy's CGI looks better. Yeah, and it's te- over ten years older. Yeah, but I mean, that's like the the direction the MC's been going in with their with their special effects have not been as good as they used to be. Yeah, I mean, the this green screen's really noticeable in this film, and I thought it would be better on the on on the theater screen than on just watching a trailer. But I was, I mean, I was shocked at. I mean, it just wasn't really that impressive the CGI. It looked better than I would say Multiverse of Madness for the the first act of Multiverse of Madness. I think we all know were reshoots, so it was kind of mm-hmm. looked like it was done pretty quickly. The second half of Multiverse looked great. For CGI. It, this one, it it looked, I think it's maybe because we saw it in IMAX. That's why it was most believable. It shows. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. We were, yeah. We were sitting pretty close, too. I thought it looked okay. I thought it looked fine. You know, I thought it looked better than Love and Thunder. It definitely looked better than Love and Thunder and a little bit better than most of Doctor Strange. Some of Doctor Strange looked really terrific, I think. But I think that Thor Love and Thunder was a step below Ant-Man and the Wasp in terms of the visual effects. And there was a lot of LCD screens in this movie for sure. Mm. And they did a pretty decent job with building the practical practical sets with it and combining it. But you can see it almost the entire movie. You know it's there. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like when you watch Mandalorian, which I think they do a great they job. They do a of. much better job Yeah, they, they do do yeah. a great job with Mando. But you know it's there. Sometimes you're like, oh, that's, that's an LCD screen. You accept it. But it's different when you're in a theater and you're watching it versus in your living room. It looks a little more... Um, obvious. I suppose so. I suppose so. And, I mean, Kang's banishment, I didn't fully buy. Like, why would they banish him in his own ship that gives him power? Whoever banished him, why don't they banish him in a different ship and send him down there? Aren't you setting him up for the ability to escape? Well, like, you had to trick him. They had to set the coordinates to the quantum realm. Is that what they did? Yeah, they tricked. They, like, basically set the... I think that's what they said. They set the coordinates to the quantum realm and trapped him there. Uh-huh. And he couldn't escape. Interesting. Well, I, I guess I must have missed that part. I don't know. I must have. You did. You must have. <laughs> I zoned out. Zoned out. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was homelanded this whole movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when the big action sequence happened, the big climax, the big battle, I found it to just be like, uh, I mean, this is it. This is this is the whole big battle, and I was just not impressed at all. The last three MCU movies, the, the climax battles have been pretty underwhelming. So yeah. with, I liked Multiverse of Madness for the most part. I loved like, Zombie Strange coming in. I thought that was pretty fun. But then Thor, Love, and Thunder, the kids getting the power of Thor was it was cute, but I'm like, eh, this is it. This is it. And then, um, and then, then Wakanda, and then, but then the way, he, the way he beat him was just say, by saying, hey, I'm going to go hold Jane, and then you... Are just gonna change your mind? Yeah, no. I mean, but I mean the fighting sequences, yeah, yeah, not yeah. just like the whole third act. I uh, mean the climax fighting sequences, gotcha, gotcha. and then the Wakanda Forever, the battle in the ocean on that ship was pretty underwhelming. Yeah, as well as, and then this this third act was you know kind of underwhelming. And you know, I think, I, I think that audiences are they're gonna listen to audiences after this movie. I think this is so far. I think the worst reviewed movie in the MCU possibly, right? Or what's, the, what's Thor two at Thor, the dark world might be the worst reviewed. What's that at Ron Tomatoes? Let me check. Probably like in the forties, maybe, but what's the, I'm the IMDb for Thor, the dark world. It's gotta be in the sixes somewhere. The thing is, 
I watched this film and when I when it ended, or Dark World fresh sixty six percent. What about six, IMDb six point eight? But that's with let, let's see, like with a lot of reviews. That's with six hundred ninety thousand ratings. You know, there's no way Ant Man the Wasp stays over six with that amount of ratings. You know what I mean? Seven hundred thousand reviews with a six point eight. That's a that's pretty solid. You know, I'll give them that. Yeah, six point eight with seven hundred thousand. That's great. That's solid. Yeah, that's a lot of re- that's a lot of ratings. I will say, I watched this when this film was over. I was sitting in a theater and I was like, I think that might be the worst MCU movie I've seen. Really? I honestly, I was, I'm, and I still, I've been thinking, I was thinking about it this morning and last night. I was like, I was like, is this the worst MCU movie? I was just, I'm thinking that it is. I'm not 100% certain. I mean, I think, it, I, I, I think, I don't, frankly, it's so far. I don't mind Thor The Dark World. I know it's not as good. But I, think I, it's I mean, I, w- I would rather watch Thor: The Dark World than watch this again. That movie's definitely overhated. And Black Widow, I didn't love. Shang Chi was pretty good. Um, Eternals, I didn't love. But like this movie, I just—it's not that I didn't love it. It's just I didn't like it. I really didn't like it at all. And I, I hate to say it, but I was just—I just watching this movie. I just kept thinking, "Is I hope it's over soon." And that's just how. I mean, it was—it was honestly just like not a very enjoyable movie experience for me. And that's just me. I mean, if you liked it, that's awesome. But like for me, I was like, is this the worst thing Marvel's done? I think the average person is going to kind of have that position, you know, after reading the reviews online. And I I like how you brought up earlier how you're sick of like playing defense for these movies just because it's Marvel and MCU. Yeah. Opening up your uh, like you read almost all the reviews for this movie and they're opening with. Making excuses, May, like it's it's, it's taken with a grain of salt. It's the first chapter of Phase Five. They're introducing new characters, but I think it was a great point where you said like that doesn't mean they can't still make a great movie because yeah. MCU movies, I think there were like fifteen in a row that were all terrific. They were oh yeah, really amazing good. run. Every there was one of the best runs, and it might be the best run in franchise history of of movies of how many consecutive great movies they made that not only did audiences love the filmmaking was top notch, some of the best in the industry every year. And it's kind of just taken a huge shift. And where where has that gone? That that Marvel brand of every time you went to see a movie by the from the MCU, you knew it was going to be awesome. You knew it was going to be a great time. All the characters were so interesting. That the scripts were, were airtight. Usually, some had plot holes here and there. What do you want to say? But but like the average MCU movie was always, in my opinion, really good up yeah. until. The last couple of years, I would say, lots since, of hits yeah, and misses. Yeah, since 2019, lots of lots of hits and misses. And even like going back to Thor: Eleven, Thor: The Dark World, it's not that great of a movie, but you can at least say the CGI is fantastic. And the script looks solid. It looks it's it looks very good. Like it it I think the CGI looks better than the CGI in this. So even it, at least it has that going for it, and, and a, a decent third act conclusion. Whereas this one, man, I I, I think it's just really fallen off. I think they have a good future with. Kang and with Jonathan Majors being the overarching antagonist. Again, great choice for the follow-up for Thanos and an excellent choice of an actor. So I think that ultimately they have a solid groundwork to go forward with, but I, like I said, there's no like there's no excuse for just not making a good movie and with that budget. You can still with the yeah, cast and crew. You can still set up Kang and still make a great movie. I don't think that you it's like it doesn't make sense to say like oh it doesn't have to be good because they're setting up the other movies and I also I I was expecting from what I read online that they were setting up a bunch of characters 
And I didn't see that. They just set up one character. So, like, how hard is that? I mean, I don't see how... Unless they're setting up Cassie to be, like, the next like the uh, next Ant you can character. Still, you can set that up. You can set up Cassie and Kang, no problem, but still make a good story. So, I don't... I don't I'm not a fan of making excuses for a movie that's asking you to go to the theater, give it your time, and give it your money, and to really not, fe- not feel like they really put in an effort to really make us feel like we watched a great film. I mean, that's just my opinion. I, I don't think we should make excuses for them. Yeah, I mean, 32 movies in, 31 movies in. I, I kind of feel... I call I'm a spade sorry. a spade. If it's not good, it's not good. I don't, I, I, I feel on the same. Yeah, there's no reason. Like, why are we defending someone? Why are we defending this company if they aren't making a great movie? Well, so, it's okay. so many people work on it. That's No, thing. no, yeah, you know, No one sets out to make yeah. a, mad, a bad movie, but, you know, I think it really comes down to story. At the end of the day, it's story and it's script and characters... And that's the like the CGI I can deal with. It's fine. It's it's acceptable. It's passable. It's it's really good for how quickly they make these people work. And when you watch the credits and you see hundreds and hundreds of names and visual and so many visual effects companies, digital artists, how many people work on these movies, you can't help but applaud them for the incredible work that they're doing on a crazy schedule. And you hear the rumors and the reports of people coming out and how much they're putting in every week for hours on designing all every frame of these movies incredible stuff in in vision and you know they're doing the best they can so the visual effects for me it's totally fine but it's the story for me yeah. that is just my biggest con for this movie is the story the script and the characters the motivations the goals the the stakes it just I felt nothing when watching this movie and I hate to say that because that's why I fell in love with going to the movie theaters and watching movies is because it's where I feel so many emotions and feelings, and that's why I love going to the cinema in the big screen and going to IMAX to feel something. I was Homelander looking at the screen the whole time. <laughs> that's <laughs> a great I, reference. Homelander and Travis Bickle just like <laughs> finger over his eyes, up and down like a windshield wiper. <laughs> oh, my God. But, but I um, hate to say it because yeah. we love movies. But yeah, I, I mean, I gotta be honest. I'm not just gonna. We don't feel comfortable just saying, "Oh, it was awesome." Like it was it's not who we are. It's, it, it, I mean, yeah. it wasn't amazing, but it was still great. Like I'm just gonna say it. I didn't enjoy the film at all, and I was so underwhelmed by it. And but I do think that Kang seems to be a bright part of Marvel's future. I just hope they they can turn around the quality of the storytelling. I think they really. I think they have to listen to the audience soon because yeah. not only are people getting a little you know, drain from superheroes because we have seven a year, basically. So we're, we're getting that. But also, they're, you can't keep making stories that people aren't falling in love with anymore. Yeah, you can't just you can't just keep resorting to the same thing that's been done a bunch of times. Like, I thought they were going to try new things in this film, but it ultimately it was just like nothing really extraordinary or exciting or new happened. Just the same kind of thing. Yeah. But... You know, like I said, the trailer, saw the whole movie in the trailer. This yep. is, a, I mean, it's an MCU movie you can skip if you don't want to see it. It's a movie you can skip. Yeah, I, I would say you don't have to watch this film. It, that's how... All well, you have to know is that Kang has a bunch of Kangs and that's <laughs> it. It's a bunch of Kangs see, out I there. See, I just set up the movie and, and, and I set up the future of the MCU in five seconds. I kind of want to I want to go to Kane's now and get some chicken <laughs> Raising tendies. Raising Kane's Ooh, tendies. Those, that's sauce, Some bro. honey mustard. Oh my goodness. No, not the honey mustard, the Kane sauce. Oh yeah, yeah, Come yeah. Come on, yeah. amateur hour over here. <laughs> Cane, raisin canes and the cane sauce. I will say we had some wonderful popcorn. The popcorn was delicious. That was great popcorn. But peanut M and M's in mine. Oh was, yeah, it was really terrific. <laughs> but 
again, we we love getting invited to stuff like yeah. this, so it was really terrific. But Tom, I but I will say I don't think we're gonna be alone because, like I said, the audience reaction was just silent when the when the credits rolled. It was really uncomfortable. I've yeah can only I can't really think of another time when it cut to black. And it was just silence. The, the theater was silence as well. There's no music or anything for a few seconds. You could hear a pin drop. Yeah. It was, this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, and Chandler Johnson. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.